Welcome to the Run The Take Podcast, your one-stop shop for music industry news, artist interviews, and industry hot takes from the perspective of up-and-coming independent artists. I'm your host, T. Nikki Page, all-around music fanatic and artist. This week, we talk with Sainave and Devin Page about their journey as independent artists. Around the roundtable, we're discussing that balance between being an independent artist and every other aspect of your life. And we're covering topics in music news, like the return of R&B this summer 2022. And we discuss how lyrics are being revised by artists to appease to their fans. These topics and more this week. Let's run the tape. This week in music industry news, according to Digital Music News, U.S. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is drafting legislation that would compel Spotify and others to pay a new streaming royalty directly to artists. This is the latest attempt to change the way that Spotify and other streaming services pay royalties to artists following a recent update from the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers. They've been pushing for years for Spotify to change and increase the average per stream royalty rate for artists. And these efforts have even gone as far as including protests outside of Spotify's New York City office. The bill hasn't been publicly released yet, but the letter states, while the music industry has experienced an economic revival with the success of streaming music services like Spotify and Apple Music, a current lack of regulation or codified streaming music royalty program has driven a race to the bottom. Streaming music platforms' payouts per stream are minuscule and declining each year, leaving working musicians with little of the income generated by these platforms. So the resolution is calling for a creation of a new streaming royalty that we pay to artists, similar to how satellite radio royalties are currently paid out via sound exchange. So hopefully with these new legislations um, being drafted and hopefully passing in Congress, artists will start to see streaming royalties that pay them well and they'll get the, the funds that they deserve. In other music news, Capital Music Group signs FN Mecca, the number one virtual artist on TikTok. Now, FN Mecca is kind of different than your average rapper because he's a virtual artist and he's powered by AI. He first launched in 2019 and is now the number one virtual artist on TikTok. He's teamed up with the top gaming streamer, Cody Clicks Conrad, and rapper Gunna to release their new single, Florida Water. And this kind of rapper is Capital Music Group's first virtual artist and also the first signed virtual artist of its kind. The first track entitled Florida Water is produced by Turbo, who's known for producing for rappers like Travis Scott, Young Thug, Lil Baby, and has worked with artists like Gucci Mane, Nicki Minaj. This is the first signed virtual rapper. I'm really curious to see if other Record labels will follow suit and also start signing virtual artists. What does that even look like to sign a virtual artist? Like, how do they sign the contract? Out of curiosity, I did a little bit of research. I listened to the single and I looked at some of the TikTok videos and some footage of this AR avatar rapper. And I even looked at some footage of him taking the stage at Rolling Loud. He kind of looks like a video game character to me. It's not really like hyper realistic or anything like that. And I'm sure that I'm probably not the target audience. I could see it being something that is really different and that the younger generation would enjoy. Um, but I'm really curious as 
to how uh, an AI artist is managed, how an AI artist sells records, how they sign deals. Very curious of how that works and would love to see if other record labels follow suit with this emerging trend of AI-generated artists. Summer 2022 is proving itself to be a summer of the return of R&B music with artists like Ari Lennox announcing her sophomore album, Age, Sex, Location, with the first single on the album being Hoodie as a follow-up to that Stuck in Your Head song, Pressure. We also getting a new track from Beyonce accompanying her new album, Renaissance, which is amazing. She has a drop with the Isley Brothers called Make Me Say It Again, Girl. And we're getting new music from artists like Babyface collaborating with Kehlani. I'm really loving this uh, old older artists co- collaborating with the newer artists, just that uh, mixing of generations that's happening here. And I love to see it. I am loving the return of traditional R&B music. It's something that we haven't seen in a while. Some people were even going far enough to say, is R&B dead? With these new drops, I can confidently say R&B has gone nowhere. Our first guest, Say Nave, is a New Jersey-born, Philadelphia-based hip-hop artist and producer elevating music with depth and energy, focusing on the importance of connecting with listeners through relatable, good, feel-good music. Here with his throwback-inspired single, The Cookout, welcome, Say Nave. I got a recipe that was passed down. Been a long time, we on new ground. Little cousin came, he a class clown. He a young king with a new crown. Everybody got they one. Family member and they act so dumb. 99 problems and the bitch ain't one. He got nine to ten kids, ain't support not one. Get down, baby, we get down. 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 Uptown, baby, for the crowd. Get down, baby, we get down. Get down, baby, we get down. Get down, baby, we get around. Hey, hey. Ooh. Said my whole fan made it to the cookout. We made it. Smoke a little weed, who to look at? Empty red cup, need a real. Big place sitting with my feet up. The whole fan made it to the cookout. We made it. Smoke a little weed, who to look at? Empty red cup, need a real. Big place sitting with my feet up. Basically, like all producers, you know, I started out as a producer before I started rapping. And with all producers, I basically got a crack version of FL Studio, started making beats back in, uh, I think, either late high school or um, freshman year of college. Um, and then from there, uh, I used to hang around all the rappers. And my one guy, um, 
shout out to James, was like, yo, hop on stage. And I wrote the weakest verse ever. And then from there, I just started, I got fascinated with making like projects and albums and stuff. And so I, I stopped working with so many people and just started working for myself. And then you just got fascinated in the album making process. And that's how I kind of started becoming a rapper by just making beats first and then making it for myself. All right. So I did a little bit of research and it said you're Jersey born, Philly based, right? Yep. So like East Coast. I'm from DC, so I get it. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Um, so which uh hip hop scene are you more immersed in? Philly or Jersey? Ah, uh, Philly. So like I left, I went to school when I was like 18 to uh to Delaware. And so um I spent most of my adult life in Philly. So like mm-hmm. the last I don't know, like 12 years or so in Philly. So I just con- I just consider myself from Philly. Like my accent doesn't even sound like a broken New York accent anymore. It sounds more Philly. So I'm like, yeah, Philly. I just, I say Philly for the most part. Um, I still got people I talk to in New York who do music, but not, but I'm mainly, you know, you know, Philly, mostly DC, Philly. It's a fly. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that your sound is kind of like influenced by Philly hip hop? Like, how would you define to somebody who yeah. who's never experienced the hip hop scene in Philly? How would you uh, describe the sound? I probably do not sound like I'm from Philly. There's some songs that I've done that have some Philly influence to it. Because I mean, obviously, you know, Meek Mill comes from here. Um, you know, like old school, like like Cassidy, Gilly the Kid, all that. But my music is probably mostly influenced by new york hip-hop and midwest hip-hop so i was a big fan of like um slum village little brother um like that boom bap era kind of stuff mm-hmm. when i started um recent recently again like within like the last like five or so years um i do rap over a lot of trap inspired beats and stuff like that but um for this project particularly i went back to doing a little a lot less of like what's current and my 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 rap style my influences mainly go back to like jay little brother slum village like that kind of like boom bap with but with a slight commercial flair yeah i feel that i heard i heard some of those influences in your uh single the cookout yeah. Which is genuinely a good song, by the way. Thanks. Um, just like as a music lover and a hip hop lover, it's got like that feel good, like equal parts, like hype, but then just like chill vibe. Like Appreciate honestly, it. like something you could play at the cookout. Um, what inspired that? Honestly, so like it was okay. It wasn't a joke, but it was like I for this project said I like my my big critique of hip hop is that most people write about like things that don't apply to their real lives like it's very rare that <laughs> that it's it I, I think the, the 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 goal that i always i always strive for is, is the same feeling that i got when i first heard the college dropout before he went crazy right it was like before kind of went crazy it was kind of like oh this is a song these are songs that actually sound like someone in the real world wrote them right you know, it, it didn't sound like, 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 like wrestling, right? So, um, <laughs> for this project, I really wanted to do something that kind of was like relatable. I mean, everyone thinks their music is relatable, but like, I mean, just like, I, like when I think of like, 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 
like Issa Rae's insecure crowd, people who I hang out with would actually be like, oh, no, I do that, too. You know what I mean? Like, I listen to Rick and Ross and them, but I ain't, you know, I ain't out there in Columbia moving that work in the street. You know what I mean? I want something that I know that I know uh, the same people I hang out with would relate to it. So one being like the cookout. Right. Like, and, I, and honestly, it, I did it kind of on a whim. I heard the beat and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Let me make a, a little lighthearted song. And then I kind of shelved. I kind of shelved it. And my brother-in-law heard it and was like, yo, we should make this the same. <laughs> I was like, are you, are you serious? He's like, yeah, now go for it. And then. Um, and then all the songs around my EP are all kind of the same way, where it's like, I just wanted songs that were like realistic to how most people who consume hip hop, you know, like, like live. Um, and not like in a preachy way, not like in that 90s Will Smith way. Just like, yo, like, <laughs> like I still listen to gangster rap all the time, you know, but like, but there's like a lack of relatability, I feel like. I remember hearing All Falls Down and just going, yo, like, this is like a real person wrote it. And I have not really heard music like that since, you know, where it's not. And don't get me wrong. I love Tyler, the creator. I love Kendrick. But I'm just talking like some everyday, you know, like non-struggle raps kind of stuff where it's just like, yo, like, I just, I'm just self-conscious. I'm like, you have some, like, what a, what a, what a just normal person song, you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel that it's like a vulnerability to it, just like a, a everyday guy type of thing. I read that you uh, you don't necessarily create uh, spontaneously, like you put yourself like on a songwriting schedule. How do you think that that disciplined approach helps you as an artist? Yeah, so I feel like the cool answer is always like, so when is your inspiration? And you're like, oh, you know, I just whenever something comes. Up. And I'm like, I'm like, I feel like most people are like bullshit, like bullshit people. Like, um, there's a quote, I forgot who said it, and I'm probably misquoting, but it's the quote was for somebody who wrote like who was like a writer. It's like, and the question was like, yeah, how, when is your inspiration striking? He was like, every day at nine o'clock, right between nine and eleven. And all I have to say is just, it's just practice, you know. I if you every day I would go home, and I'm and obviously I, I have a three year old, right? So. That means I had to be really like schedule oriented, and whatever happened between eight thirty, like I put her to bed, and then whatever happened between eight thirty and eleven is the only time I got, you know, to write the to write songs and, and to make beats. And so, you know, some days trash comes out, right? And but some days, um, like something really good comes out. And even before I had her, right, it was, um, you know, I would just make sure I come home from like from work and just be writing, 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 making beats, making beats, and so. You know, for me, it's ne it was never really a matter of like um, spontane spontaneity. Spontaneity. It was more, I just, you know, consistency. Just keep going back, keep going back, keep going back. You know, so I I just find keeping a schedule, you know, and then every so often something strikes. You know what I mean? So how do you balance parenthood and being an artist? Because like as somebody who's in the industry. They, they 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 try to tell you that, you know, getting married, having kids and stuff like that will take you away from your craft. But I don't necessarily think that's true. How do you balance it? Oh, no, it's not. It's um. so my wife, like she's very integral into like a lot of the like non-music stuff. Like you'll see her in a bunch of my videos. Like she's 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 somewhere in the uh, in the in the cookout video. But in the one before that, speak the language, she's the main girl in that video and in one called resume she she actually kind of directed the speak the language video um 
but she coordinates all my videos as far as like what we're going to do. Um, if so, if, if, if you're, if, if you're with someone and you, and you're talented in any respect, you know, if anything, they can help refine it. Yeah. So does that inspire your songwriting at all? Uh, like, I mean, just generally life stuff. Like I'm not out here like, I'm making a song. I'm going to put my, my daughter on and we're going to have her like, like babble onto the phone. Like I'm not <laughs> doing all, all that, but, but like, but yeah, no, like I, um, you know, one of the songs in the EP is called Fights with the Mrs. Right. <laughs> like it's just whatever happens, I'll, I'll talk about, you know, whatever happens in my personal life is kind of what my brand is. So like, if you go to like my Instagram page, right. It's like everything that I talk about is what I, what you pretty much see on my Instagram, you know, like I'm traveling, I, um, you know, family stuff, fashion stuff. Like I, I don't, um, I try to keep, I try to, I tried not to make a big bold line between how I actually am and what I'm actually doing as an artist. Um, you know, people are more interesting than they give themselves credit for, you know, I, I rapped about my 401k, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's, I think people don't, don't do it enough, you know? Yeah, I feel that. Plus, it's way easier to uh, commit to just being yourself. Way uh, easier. <laughs> when you create a persona and you have to keep up with it, and when it's not you, you might forget to actually be that person that day. Yeah, you know? 100%. And people can see that. So what's next for St. Nave? What are you working on right now? See, I'm just basically um, prepping, not prepping the album, trying to uh, get the EP, trying to uh, get things ready for that and promote. I'm um, focused on uh, getting the EP out promo basically in promo mode for um the stay connected ep um everything uh, ig tiktok everything is say nave s-a-y-n-a-v-e um all my all the all social media is the same handle Our second guest is singer, songwriter, and performer Devin Page, who's here to deliver her latest single, Love and Dreams, which is this energetic pop song reminiscent of Katy Perry and Sia that she hopes is a fun, catchy song for listeners to enjoy. Let's go on the run tonight. Light up the sky, see you later. Dance until the sunrise, having the time of our lives.
Sure. It's been a little chaotic to say the least. Um, I started as a child. I was uh, in musical theater professionally. Um, so I started that when I was, I want to say around eight, but I'm not entirely positive. I just know I was really young. And then I just kind of continued on for a couple years, still doing musical theater. I really realized there that I loved performing and being on stage. Um, that was kind of like where I felt the most comfortable, which like is wild to some people. Cause like a lot of people don't, would never want to be on stage in like any capacity. Um, and then yeah. I, you know, went through school cause my dad always said like school comes first always. So I kind of like moved away from music a little bit and went through school, college, um, tried my hand at being a millennial in this corporate America, um, which, I mean, I'm still working full time. So like, it's not that bad. Um, but I just kind of realized like music's always been my passion. It's always been there for me, regardless of what I'm going through. I've always turned to it anytime I'm feeling any type of way. I can always find something that I want to listen to. And then I just decided, you know, I, I want to do this. I want to pursue this passion. You know, life is so short as it is. And so I kind of just decided to go for it. So this is my second single. So we are just cooking with steam. Awesome. I also am a, a theater kid. Some yeah. of your favorite musicals or, or your favorite roles that you've played. Um, I played Pepper in Annie. And um, my twin sister was actually Annie, so I was the understudy. Um, but I loved the character of Pepper because she was just this like feisty little girl with like attitude and like that fit me to a T. Like I barely even had to act because like I already had the attitude. So do you bring any aspect of that musical theater training into your, your singer uh, songwriter process now? I guess, yeah, I do. I never really thought about it like that. But I mean, I like to have songs that are just kind of like that get the crowd, um, like especially with Love and Dreams, like it's very pop. It's very kind of like get up and sing and dance. Um, and that's like a song that you can like really perform to um, just because more times than not, like I'm the most comfortable on stage, like even if I'm not singing, like just being on stage, um, my background is public speaking. So like I've always been in front of people, just not always in the same industry. Um, so I kind of just wanted a song that was gonna be like really fun and really catchy. And you can just like three minutes of your time and you can just sing to it, you can dance to it. It's gonna get stuck in your head. Like that's a good thing. Well, maybe not for you, but for me. <laughs> um, I want them to just feel like excited. Um, just because like things are so hard right now for so many people, like this world that we live in is like so tumultuous. Um, so I, I wanted to come up with something that would kind of take them out of their world for just a couple of minutes. And, you know, maybe if they're going through something that's really sad, they could just listen to this. And even just for three minutes, maybe be a little like in a different headspace. They could just be like excited and it's about like someone you love. So maybe they'll think about their loved ones. So I just wanted people to hear it and feel excited and like almost like I wanted them to have some comfort from it just because it's kind of a break from the everyday world that we live in, which can be traumatic. <laughs> yeah, especially now. I feel like everybody needs a little bit of that. So what's your songwriting process like? 
Um, I usually just come up with kind of like a theme. Um, so with like resentful, I wanted something that was a little more like on the heartbreak side, a little sadder, um, something that I, I know is relatable to people is like dealing with like a toxic ex or like a toxic boyfriend or partner. And you like, know you have to leave them, but like you're struggling with it. Cause like I've dealt with that. I feel like everybody's gone through that. So that was super relatable and I wanted that. Like I wanted people to hear it and be like, wow, I, you know, those lyrics like mean something to me, like they speak to me. Um, so really I try to think about what other people have, you know, what their experiences are in this world. Um, and I just kind of start with that theme. Like this time I wanted something to be like super upbeat and like catchy and like summer-ish, like spring, summer, um, just cause like I envision hearing this like when you're driving with your windows down um and then i just kind of wanted it to be more of like a love song since it's going to be so opposite of my other single um and then i just kind of picked up inspiration listening to other artists like katy perry has always been like one of my favorites just because like her music is so fun to me like if you hear a katy perry song like even if you don't like her like her music's catchy you're probably gonna dance a little bit and not even realize it you're gonna know the lyrics um so i just wanted something that people would be happy with and something that they could relate to and just kind of have fun with so then i um i started working with trey vidito he's he was my producer on this song and sj jones and so we as a team just kind of like built this song together. I'm like, this is what I'm thinking of. This is what, like, this is the mood I want to go for. These are some of the, the lyrics I came up with. Like, let's put it to some music and kind of just go from there and then just tweak it until I feel like I like it. <laughs> awesome. So who are you listening to right now? Like who's on your playlist? Ooh, Besides myself, I would say. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Halsey's always been a favorite of mine. I just feel like her lyrics are just so like soul bearing. So I've always been a fan of her. Um, Taylor Swift is like an obvious go-to. Um, I would say, who else? Miley Cyrus. I mean, I feel like she's she's done like every genre in the industry so I kind of like really like listening to her music because you can hear from song to song or album to album how different her voice is like depending on what genre she's singing um and then like Ava Max has always been one of my favorites so I'm like constantly playing her songs on repeat because I just like love the beat and how fun they are so I kind of just listen to like an eclectic eclectic bunch of musicians <laughs> Yeah. So what's next for Devin Page? What are you working on right now? Um, I'm still working on a couple songs. My goal would be to release a couple more, like maybe four or five, six, you know, by the end of the year. I really, I want to keep this momentum going because it's going so well for me. Yeah. So I want to just kind of almost like keep the dialogue open between me and fans. And it's weird even saying fans, like, that's just weird. I never thought I'd like have actual fans. So it's like still trying to get used to that. Um, but I Own definitely want to do, I know it's just weird. It's like fans like of me, like, are you sure? Um, I'm on Instagram, uh, TikTok. I have a Facebook page, like, you know, the usuals. Um, I'm on obviously Spotify, SoundCloud, all of the music streaming services.
summer in music news, we're seeing quite a few stars be faced with quite a conundrum when it comes to making revisions to their albums after they've already been released. Sure, artists have revised their lyrics in the past. For example, Little Richard's original version of Tutti Frutti was far more risque than the one that made it to the mainstream. Artists make music that maybe has profanity or sexual lyrics in it, and then they make a clean version for radio. That's something that we're familiar with. But this is a little bit different because this pushback is actually coming from the fans. For example, uh, Lizzo released Girls from her wildly popular special album, and she had to change some of the language in the song because even though the word spaz may be considered slang or uh, a neutral statement in in American English, in the UK, it's looked at as an ableist slur. Beyonce also used this same word in her song Heated on her wildly popular Renaissance album. Both artists have had to go back and edit and revise the song to change those lyrics. I'm wondering how many other artists will be forced to do this type of thing in the future and how will it affect the songwriting process? I personally think it's great that artists are open to changing their viewpoint and making alterations to their lyrics because it makes them more inclusive to a wider audience and it shows that they are committed to being inclusive and not offending anybody. So I, I think that that's an upside to it is seeing that we're really moving into an era of increased inclusivity. In other music news, this should make you smile. A Belgian farmer located halfway between Brussels and the Dutch border said that his pigs are happier when they hear music. He created a playlist for his pigs and he said now they start dancing and frolicking when they hear certain tunes. So Belgian scientists are actually looking into this and looking into the claim that different styles of music are affecting the behavior of the pigs so it's not just that the pigs like the music it's that they actually have their favorites have you ever played music for your animals your pets your furry friends how do they react to it i'm gonna go play some music for my dog and see what she likes and see what she doesn't like this farmer said that his pigs love the music so much that when he plays it they start wagging their tails and now he's created playlists for different times of the day so when he wants them to be active he plays upbeat music and he's when he's ready for them to calm down he actually changes it over to lullabies at the end of the day um, but he said that jolly dance songs are the biggest hits all around and they really love dancing but they don't like rock music who knew pigs don't like rock music new music is officially becoming less popular than old music a new report says they don't have a true cause of this, but they're saying that some of the resurgence of old classics and sampling of old classics in music actually have decreased the popularity of new music releases by 1.4% in 2022 compared to 2021. I guess that does have some truth because a lot of the songs that we listen to are sampling songs that we've already heard, which are sometimes samples of songs that already came before it. So in some ways, we're recycling old music. So it's interesting to see that new releases are actually less popular than old music. 
right now. The popularity of catalog music, which means any release that's older than 18 months, grew by 14% during the first half of 2022. Now, some people blame streaming platforms for this, and then other people blame it on the downfall of physical albums as the root of this problem. But their hypothesis is that there's a lack of blockbuster albums, which means albums that are appealing to a mass amount of people in, in the general public. And they say that because artists are so specialized in their niches right now, the, the mass appeal albums that appeal to the general public are becoming rarer and rarer each year, even when it comes to pop music. And that translates to a decrease in public engagement. What do you think? Do you prefer to listen to new music? Are you really stuck on those old those old songs that have been in your playlist for years. I personally like to discover new music, but I'm never going to let go of the old music that I love. So I guess see each his own. This week at the Roundtable, we're chatting with our guests about aspects of music culture that we're bringing with us into the future. Last week, we talked about music nostalgia, and this week we're talking about parts of music culture that we want to bring with us from the past, present, and into the future. Let's hear what our guests had to say. This is The Common Denominator. I guess I would say... I feel like music in the past was just so simple in a way, like with like their meanings and like there wasn't so much of this like almost political aspect that's like tied into music nowadays. And I just like missed the old times where it was just like you listen to the music, like you like the artist, even if you don't like the artist. Um, but it just didn't feel like there was so much, so many other things tied to just the music. Um, so I just kind of like miss that where like you just hear a good song and you like it and there's nothing else really to it. Um, so I kind of want to bring that back and just kind of keep all the heaviness out of it. Like all the, I want to like keep the world almost out of it. I just want it to be like music that you just feel good with, like music you feel good to. So I'd say, I feel like that is what I would like to bring with me. Um, Cause I think that just benefits everybody. <laughs> Yeah, do you think that artists feel pressure to make their music about like current events and political topics now? Do you think that they feel pressure to do that? Um, yes, I really feel like they do, especially if they're, you know, I'm not positive on this, but I feel like if they're owned or like, well, not owned, but if they have like a record deal um, or they're working with certain like managers or producers, they may kind of want them to go in a specific direction. Um, so I feel like they can be swayed and like, I'm sure that's not true for everybody, but I feel like they are pressured to kind of put more of like themselves into it and kind of talk more publicly about issues that are going on. Um, so I feel like, yeah, there definitely is like, they have pressure, especially because people want to know, like people are asking, you know, like, what do you support? Do you support this? Do you support this? And they are definitely pressured to, to speak on it, which I guess could be a, a good and a bad thing depending on I guess like what the issue is but I just I wish we could just go back to the music and kind of keep all of the all the other stuff out of it. All right, it's going to sound really esoteric, but um 
music was mixed a lot better. Like at, at about about especially particularly hip hop. I'm looking at you, hip hop, and your trash ass mixes. Um, it was it was because because even in the professional game, like it'd be guys in their house with a with a with a with a basic ass mic. Like back in the day, like like especially in the, like like the late nineties at like the peak of the money in music, like things sounded so crisp, you know, so nice, you know. Now it's just like I think with the um, with the uh, quantity of music um, and the derivative nature of the beats, like they just kind of cranking out the arpe- the arpeggiator and making the same, and then. All that's one thing, but I think what irks my nerves so much is the mix. The mixes on like half of the trap dudes are so bad, right? When you get like um, Kendrick, it's gonna sound great, you know. Obviously, his money. When Jay, Jay, Jay's uh, like, what's that? Um, Magna Carta trash album sounded beautiful, but complete trash, right? But like those, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like those folks will sound will sound will have really good sounding projects. But once you start getting down to like, um, like I heard, uh, what was it, the Gunna and Lil Baby, uh, uh, they had like some some joint tape, and like I'm hearing like a, I heard like a clip, and I was like, what? <laughs> so it's just so for me at least, yeah, mixing. Why do you think the mixes are the quality of the mixes are lower now? Do you think it's because people put out so much music, or do you think like the way that people listen to music has something to do with that? Because you know, like. We used to actually like listen to the full album from beginning to end a lot, mm-hmm. like when you bought a CD or something like that. But now people stream, and you know, sometimes yeah. stuff comes up on shuffle. And I wonder if like less effort is put into the mix, or I don't know. I'm curious to know what you think about that. I, I, I well, I think because it's the one genre that you can pretty much make like on your phone, and so I, so <laughs> I, I feel like what what happens like. I mean, like, um, what's that song? Triple X, uh, XX Tentacion, like his very first single. It was, it was, it was clipping. I don't know. I feel like it's just because the average listener doesn't, doesn't, can't, can't tell, you know, like for the most part, as, as long as it's passable, the average person doesn't really care, you know? Um, so if you can get away with it and then, then do it. Like, and then on top of that, you have the song can go viral without a label it doesn't matter. Like, there's so many songs that that goes that go viral, um, without a, like a label. Those songs are not like the crispiest songs, you know, what I mean, ever, right? But uh, but the average person is like, hey, it sounds fine, you know. So I think that's, I think I think the main, I think the reason why you people why it happens is that the average listener does, does not care. That's that's the reason, you know. It's like um, Marvel movies. The average watcher doesn't care if 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 it's the same crap over and over, it's just their favorite superhero, right? So it's, I think it's something along those those lines. Which is why I really appreciate like a Rick Ross, because I mean, people get on him for his content, but I'm like, it sounds so great. <laughs> it sounds so good, right? And not even just that it sounds good, it's musically interesting, especially like Teflon Don and Deep and Run. It was just an interesting listen. Like it wasn't, um, like a lot of it was unexpected, right? Where most listeners are just like, 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 like what she just said. It's like, yo, it bangs. That's <laughs> all that matters. That it bangs, you know. And if it bangs, it, it goes into the car, right? So.
I, I use this term musically interesting. A lot of music um, and hip hop isn't musically interesting, at least in the commercial world. But yeah, I want something to be interesting. Well, you heard it here first, folks. One artist wants to bring musically interesting tracks, complex composition and production into the future. And the other wants to bring musical simplicity into the future. Personally, I like a good balance of both. If I could keep anything from the present and take it into the future, I would say keeping real instruments in production and not just digital instruments. What do you think? Chime in. What aspect of music culture are you bringing with you into the future? Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we talk about more hot topics, talk to more independent artists, and have more roundtable discussions about the one thing that unites us all, the universal language of music. Until next week, folks.